If you are interested in trying to improve the outcomes for youth who age out of foster care, then this podcast is for you. Hi, I'm Lynn Tanini, founder of Aging Out Institute, an organization dedicated to sharing resources and strategies that help youth who have to age out of the system be able to transition to independence successfully. Now grab something to take notes and get ready for some great information. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 3 of the Aging Out Institute podcast, Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting. Today's guest is Franco Vega. He is the executive director and founder of the Right Way Foundation in Los Angeles, California. Today, we're going to talk about his program, his thoughts on strategies to help foster youth prepare for independence, and we also are going to talk about how the COVID-19 crisis has affected his program and what they've been doing to manage in this difficult time. Well, welcome, Franco. So glad you could join us today for our podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great, Lynn. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation with you guys at Aging Out Institute. Oh, thanks so much. If you could please share a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in foster care. Okay. Well, as we said earlier, my name is Franco Vega. I'm the executive director of the Right Way Foundation, and we're located here in South Central Los Angeles. Uh, we're in the heart of the foster care system in the nation. Sadly, LA County has the largest foster care system in the nation. And how I got connected uh, was due to some personal experiences. Uh, I was orphaned at the age of 15 years old. I lost my dad at 10 and I lost my mother at 15. Uh, but the abuse I suffered on the hands of for my mother uh, really tied me into the probation system, meaning that she beat the crap out of me. And then I ran and joined the gang. And luckily, and I don't say this lightly, uh, I'm glad that happened because I was under probation supervision. So when my parents both died, I went into kinship care, but under probation. If I didn't join a gang, I would have been strictly foster care youth. And the reason I like to explain that to folks is because probation system was a stricter system. You know, they, the judge told me, if you didn't get your act together, you're going to camp. Why? Youth authorities uh, until you're 21 years old. So that really put a fear inside me. And so some folks stepped up and took me in as their own. Um, and then uh, after 19, all of my resources was gone. Probation uh, said I lived up to the agreement. They released me and I joined the Army. <clears throat> so in 19... So in 1992, I shipped myself off to the Army because I had nowhere else to go. I had no family. I was an orphan. And so uh, that's really when my second life began. You know, So I'm a father of four uh, beautiful kids. I have a, I'm a grandfather also. And I, we, I created this foundation in 2011, and we haven't looked back since. That is quite a story. I, I also went into foster care um, and kinship care as a teenager. And I'm glad that it seemed like it went down the direction that it needed to for you. It, it, it did and it didn't because the trauma popped back up after the military. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, that's why you'll hear more about our trauma-informed training in, inside workforce development is because I'm 47 now and I still suffer from PTSD on the hands of my mother, but I just know how to deal with it now. Uh, I know how to live with it now. You, you'll never heal from it, but you can learn how to deal with it. It's going to always be there, but it shouldn't affect your livelihood. And so that's what we do here at the Rightway Foundation. <laughs> a phrase that I hear a lot is, you know, you've got to get over your past. <laughs> and that is something that I've never agreed with. Just as you're, you're mentioning, it's, it, you never get over it. Never. Truly. You, it's always with you. It's how you manage it. Correct. It's how you deal with it. You know, you know, I always joke around during Christmas time. I deal with a PTSD when my wife wants to buy a fake Christmas tree. And I'm like, no, I want a real Christmas tree because the year my mother divorced my dad and left him and the beatings got worse. We bought a fake Christmas tree. And that was the first time. And so those flashbacks come back. So I just know how to deal with it now that I'm not yelling and cursing with my wife about a fake Christmas tree no more. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. But I explained, I explained to her calmly, you know, this is uh, I need a real Christmas tree. I need that yep. smell. No, I understand. Yeah. I understand that. Now, you you mentioned you went into the army. Just a real quick question. Yeah. I don't know how many foster youth are told about the military as a possible career. Just before we dive into your organization, what do you think about that? Oh, I'm a big fan. I support it. I, I would push. Uh, we have two or three of our youth currently uh, in the military. One's a sergeant now in the army. So that's, that's awesome. Uh, it's a getaway. 
they uh, uh, they get the high speed training uh, that they didn't get as a youth. Uh, and so I'm a big fan of it. Uh, you know, in our country is not as aggressively going after wars right now. Back when I was in, you know, I was in during their first Gulf War, second Gulf War and all that. Uh, it seemed like every day we'd start a new war. Uh, so I'm really a big fan of the military right now. Uh, and and it needs, it's some good training that they per se didn't get as a as a as a, a youth, a young teen, if they were born into the foster care system. So we have lifers, we call them in the foster care system who's been in 20, 30 group homes and they didn't get no kind of training uh, for the real world. And the, the military can fill that void. And they felt it for me. <laughs> mm hmm. Mm hmm. That's right. Very structured. Um, yeah. Helps to helps folks build discipline. Correct. In their lives. Um, so I, I agree. I think that the military is a, a terrific option for, of course, not all foster youth, but there are many no. out there that could really benefit from it. Heck yeah. Definitely. All right. <laughs> well, thank you for, for <laughs> indulging me on that one. So the Right Way Foundation, if you could, please uh, tell us what that organization does? How did it get started? And how are you helping youth out there in Los Angeles? Well, once again, I created this foundation in 2011. So nine, you return, we turned nine years old uh, in May for Foster Care Awareness Month. And I started off as a jobs program. Uh, so since 1995, I've been a job developer, labor compliance officer. I've been working strictly for with pro probation and foster youth and homeless youth, homeless youth in the community for 25 years. And so jobs is what I'm an expert at getting for our population. And so uh, when I create this foundation in 2011, I had a bunch of companies already partnering with me to create these jobs for these uh, young adults leaving the foster care system. But soon as I started getting in the jobs, uh, delivering on jobs, and they were getting hired, they were getting fired quicker than they were getting hired. And it wasn't because of stealing or things like that. It was because of not showing up, showing up late, uh, looking depressed at work, trauma popping up in their life, hygiene, because they're homeless. And so I took a step back. I did a 180 and I laid off all my job developers and I brought in uh, licensed clinical social workers, therapists, uh, to act as job developers because we needed to deal with the real issue. You know, the real issue is not getting them a job. The real issue is teaching them how to keep a job. And so I brought in the professionals, the mental health folks who know how to deal with these kids through these, through these trauma uh, times, these hard times. And so we came up with a curriculum called Operation Emancipation, which is a 32-hour curriculum that ties in job readiness training, but more trauma-informed job readiness training. So once again, I'll give you this example. So we do all the hiring for customer service, special events. LA Live is where the Lakers play basketball and they have concerts. The new football stadium is coming, so we have all those jobs coming. And so we uh, uh, wanted to show these kids how to keep a job, how to deal with the public. And this example is with little African-American boys. Nine times out of 10, the women that's gonna be in charge at these facilities are African-American grown women. And so if a grown African-American woman is given an order to one of my young African-American boys, and he doesn't like the way she sounds, he might have flashbacks, mommy issues. And he might, think that that's his mom yelling at him again and then how he responds can get him fired or he could flight he could just run and don't come back so those are examples i use where we train our youth you know and it's been win-win uh we didn't know uh that no one else was doing this we didn't know that no one else was tying in mental health services to employment services you either got to go to one building to get therapy and then you got to go to another building to get employment services I brought the two buildings together under one roof. And so we've been very successful with that. Uh, and then we took it a step further and now we're teaching corporate America how to be trauma informed and how to work with our population. And we call that program Operation Triple M, which means to motivate, mentor and manage, you know. And so we're transforming leadership so they can be more trauma informed so they won't go quickly to firing our youth. And they love that program because what company in America really just loves to fire people? Because that costs money. They want to hire them, promote them, and keep them for the long term. That's our program in a nutshell. We have over 425 graduates since 2011. We have access to over 80% of them. That means our retention rate is high because they come back. Once you graduate, you never leave our program. So you can come back for therapy. You can come back for more job placement. Uh, housing assistance, anything you may need that a family will give their own biological kid, you can come back to. We do interest-free car loans. We do uh, housing assistance, like help you pay your first and last month rent. 
And you just got to graduate from our 32-hour curriculum. Once you graduate from a 32-hour curriculum, it's like we said earlier, you haven't healed from that trauma, but you just know how to deal with it. And so sometimes it might pop back up and we're okay with that. We'll say, okay, let's go back. Let's look at our training. How did you handle it? And let's go a different angle, you know, similar to what a grown adult would do to their grown child. Right. Now, this curriculum you're talking about, this 32-hour, this is for the youth. For the youth. And what does the curriculum look like? What types of things are you um, working with them on? Uh, identifying their triggers, uh, talking about their past, uh, besides the, the, the easy stuff, like how to do an interview, how to dress and stuff like that. We cover all that in the traditional job readiness training program, but now we talk about how to deal with their triggers, uh, communications, uh, showing up is half the battle. We even do finances too. We talk about their credit, uh, how to invest money. Once they graduate from our program, we have a partnership with the USC Federal Credit Union and we put in the first $50 into their bank account. Uh, we run their credit so they can look at their credit. Anything, uh, the training that you should have received in a traditional home at the dinner table, <laughs> we give to our youth, our youth. And we, in 32 hours, it's just the starting point. You know, I'm not going to sit here and mislead the, uh, the audience that we're, we're handling everything in 30, 32 hours. No, 32 hours is just to get uh, to page two or day two, I'm sorry, day two with us because it's, it's constantly working on the issues. It's constantly working on the issues. You know, some of our kids come with their own addictions, marijuana mainly, marijuana. And so we have to talk about that. You know, some come with alcoholism, you know, some you could smell it on their breath. And we're trying to tell them, look, you know, what, what is what is the cause for you to drink? You know, what made you wake up and, and you decided to drink some wine today? And then how do you expect to be successful off of that? <clears throat> and and we, we just go over all that. And the one thing they do say is uh, we learned it from our parents. You know, I learned how to drink from my mom and dad, you know, yeah. uh, or or no one ever corrected me in my group homes. They just let me keep going on and they just put me in a corner. Uh, so we tell them now, well, we're going to correct you now. You know, because you can't keep going this route and thinking you're going to be successful. Right. Absolutely. And what's the, the general age of the folks, to, the young people that you work with? All 18 to 25. They have to enroll in our program uh, between 18 and 25. Uh, we don't enroll 26 year olds, uh, but they could stay in our program after they turn 25. So they could stay in our program 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. You know, we have a 32 year old who's been in our program for seven years, you know. And so we still provide her with counseling and therapy, uh, but you have to enroll before you hit uh, 26 years old. Okay. And I imagine you might also have youth who, you know, they get the kind of the basics and they are able to grab it and embrace it and take off with it on their own. Oh yeah. We have those, what I call them, use military term, those high speed foster youth who just need a little bit of guidance. You know, the ones that are already at four-year universities. But our program is really for the ones who can't get to a four-year university, who has no high school diploma, no GED, who reads on a third, fourth, fifth grade level. Those are the ones I focus in on. Because you have yes, a, a small few that are ready to go, but the majority, oh no, they've been passed around that no one gave them these basic needs uh, as a young kid. And I'll give you another example. 60% of successful women in, in Congress, in politici politicians, I'm sorry, come from Girl Scouts. Not one of my girls in my program has ever been to Girl Scouts. Yeah. So that shows me that we're starting late. You know, our boys never did a paper route, a lemonade stand, uh, selling flowers, nothing like that. And those are the true life lessons that you need as a young kid that will transform into adulthood. That's right. That's right. And I, I've heard that, that so many... Um either it's the foster parents themselves or it's the programs that they're in that they, they sometimes they start like, okay, no, no foster youth are going to be allowed to have jobs, even part-time jobs. Yeah. And I, yeah, it's the majority. I, be, I believe sometimes it's the law uh, that the foster care system has created. Uh, you know, some kids can't even cut their grass, you know, due to liability, uh, you know, wash dishes, things like that, do their own laundry. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's some strict guidelines in the foster care system that, uh, blocks and creates their own barriers for this population. And I'm not here to blast the foster care system, but there's some things they can do a little bit better. And, and I think that they might come up with some of these rules meaning well. Yeah. <laughs> but unfortunately, it does hinder the, the growth of these young people. 
quick question about the, the staff that you have. How many staff that you have, how many are therapists, and what kind of training program do they go through to get them ready to work with these young people? Oh, awesome. Uh, we follow our own curriculum that we created in-house. I have an awesome CEO uh, uh, who's an LCSW who uh, has 15 years in the system, in the game. Uh, she's been working with major foundations throughout uh, Los Angeles. And I was just fortunate enough uh, that after she had her third kid, uh, she was on maternity leave and I was venting of what I was going through and trying to find the correct uh, uh, mental health folks. And she said, well, let me talk to my husband and see if I can come aboard as a consultant. And then uh, they came up with an agreement. And so she came back to work as a consultant. And then she really was surprised at what our vision was. And she said, well, you know, I can come on full time. And so she leads the way. Her name is Andrea Slider, licensed clinical social worker. And then we hire, we have another uh, MSW, two of them that she supervises along with our job developer, which we call a business development specialist, a controller. So we have nine staff in-house. And then our COO supervises MSWs from USC, Cal State uh, LA, Cal State Dominguez Hills, and then Columbia University on the East Coast. And the reason I bring up Columbia University, we have a, a MSW going through the program that we have a strong partnership with Columbia where we get 50% off discount for our staff to go out there via online system. And so that's you now you're getting an Ivy level education for 50% discount. And so my LCSW COO, she has to supervise all this. And the reason is very important that I like it is because we get to train these young MSWs coming out of school. They haven't picked up any bad habits yet. And bad habits are hard to break, you know, we know that. And so they got to follow my philosophy, you know, and my philosophy is what would your parents do? We treat our right way kids like they're our own biological kids. There's no difference. There's no difference. If we have to co-sign for something, then we co-sign for something. And it's something similar to what a family does. That's all. And it's our it's our model and it's ongoing training, ongoing training. So, you know, our, our MSWs and our staff will go through uh, per se an eight hour training with our uh, COO. But no, every day is always training. Every day we're working on something different especially during these times. We're doing training right now uh, during this uh, this pandemic. Mm -hmm. Well, what kind of trauma-informed curriculum have you chosen? Have, has it been built kind of grassroots in your own program? Or are you utilizing a program, a curriculum externally? Nope. It's been grassroots through our own program. And you're really going to find this uh, funny because nine years ago when I started this, Someone, uh, uh, a PhD uh, person, interviewed me, uh, invited me to the local Starbucks, me and my other main facilitator, who's a former foster youth. And the reason I bring in facilitators who are former foster youth, because I want our youth to know that we have people that been somewhere where they have been. You know, we've been in group homes. We've been on lockdown. We've had social workers. And so she interviewed me and my main facilitator. And she she asked us, she's like, you guys don't have no mental health background. I was like, no. And then she said, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah. And then she said, you guys are using compassion-based therapy. And then we finally proved to her that we weren't therapists because I said, shouldn't all therapy be compassion-based? I thought all therapy should be compassion-based. I didn't know that there's some a CPT training and all that. So no. Then we started looking at the, uh, the research and all these, what you call trauma-informed trainings. And we were already, already doing that with just common sense, uh, you know. So now my LCSW, she does follow ACEs uh, and other things like that. But yeah, it's strictly mostly in-house. Okay. In-house. Yeah. All right. Great. And and um, how many staff, what's the ratio? Because I'm, I'm thinking of questions that people might have if like, wow, we'd like to start something like that. What's the ratio that you have of uh, staff to youth? Good to go. That's a good question. So when I say we have 420 alumni, those are 425 who went through our program. Normally, we service about 125 a year. Uh, that's the, the normal uh, breakdown. So uh, we'll have 75 new enrollments, and then we'll have 50 alumni coming through our program. Now, uh, I want the audience to be clear that everyone won't get the same services because, like you said earlier, some will be more high speed and need less case management, less therapy. But then you'll have 10 or 20 that needs direct services. We have to talk with a minimum 
once a day or once a week. Uh, you know, we're providing the therapy on the weekends uh, via cell phone or internet or something of that nature. So the ratio is really about, I would say, 15 to 20 youth per staff. And even myself will carry a caseload. And I love the ones that's the most challenging, the one that will be very disruptive. For other folks, they're angry. For me, uh, they just are, have some terrible nightmares that pop up into their head every day that they don't know how to deal with. You know, But some people label them angry and aggressive. I'm like, no, you just don't know what they went through. And no one has helped them, uh, convince them that it wasn't their fault. Mm-hmm. Right. And how do you find these youth or how do they find you? Well, fortunately, the foster care system, which is large in L.A. County, but our folks who we deal with all talk to each other. Since we're in South Central, South Central is is pretty huge, but they all know each other. So word of mouth is number one. Um, We have a partnership with Los Angeles County Department of Children and Family Services who oversee the foster care system. Uh, We have a great partnership with them. It's funny because... When I started 25 years ago, I had a small contract with DCFS through another agency and all those social workers I still deal with. Sad part is, is 25 years later, they're all retiring now, or sadly, some have, uh, uh, is not on this earth with us no more heart attacks. And that's really, I'm being serious, that this system has killed some folks, you know, the stress, you know. And so I have to go back and recreate ourselves now with Department of Children and Family Services because I have to deal with the new social workers coming in. Mm-hmm. We have straight strong partnerships with CASA, which I'm pretty sure all you folks know about, the court appointed special advocates in Los Angeles. Uh, I used to be a CASA myself, so I get referrals through them. I get referrals directly through the judges and the bench and their attorneys. Okay. So. We, co- we cover everyone where they can call us and say, Franco, uh, can you take care of this kid? Send them on down. Send them on down. And they, they know to send us the ones who they believe are the most difficult. They know that already. They know not to send me an honor student or someone who's reading on a 12th grade level. No. I'm like, no, that kid's going to be all right. I want the ones who society has given up on. And they might have given up on themselves, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We have a phrase in here. They come in here hopeless and we make sure they leave hopeful. Oh, yeah. Because in in my honesty, and you know this, uh, why should they care about society or themselves right now? Because no one else has ever believed in them. Right. All the labels and the name callings and stuff like that, you know. Mm -hmm. And we use a lot of humor in our program, a lot of humor, uh, because I got to get them to smile and laugh. And once I get them to smile and laugh, that knows now we've built an intimate relationship where they let their guard down, you know, mm-hmm. especially especially for my men. And, you know, you just are segueing so nicely into my next question, which is how is it that you, well, let me back up a little bit. We know that it is difficult for foster youth to, to trust. Yes. And you're saying it seems like maybe humor is opening a crack of the door there for them to start trusting you but how do you help them build that relationship at the start again i realize there's a range of you know some are going to be really really challenged in that area and some are going to be easier but how is it that you set up a situation where where you're helping them trust you and your staff always tell share our life story we we started off with sharing our own story I go into my own story. This probably takes about an hour on day one in class one. And then my main facilitator will share his story. And then now that lets down the guard just a little bit. The other awesome thing is that, remember, we're a strictly foster care program. So whoever comes through our door has been in the foster care system. So they know they're looking to the left and right. They are all the same. There's no, you know, there's no discrimination or they don't have to be embarrassed like they were in high school to say they're in the foster care system. Uh, And then what I stress to my staff is that you better be there for that kid and you better deliver on everything you promised them. So if I will say you're going to get a job here or you're going to earn some money here, we better make sure we give them a job or they have a paid internship because, you know, our population will be the first one to say, ah, you said this and you didn't deliver. You're just like the people when I was a kid. You are just like the social workers. You're just like my attorney. They were lied to at the beginning. Remember, you remember the first lie that social workers told you, everything's going to be okay. You're going to get back with your family. (laughs) That was the first lie they told them. And knowing they were never going to get back with their family. So deliver on everything you say, be accountable, uh, and just show up. That's what I stress to my staff. 
And then, you know, and let's not, I don't want to mislead the audience. Uh, sometimes it takes more than uh, day one. Uh, sometimes it takes more than day five. Uh, but I'm going to win them over. Uh, I'm going to win them over. And we have kids. We've had a tough one come to our door. He graduated from our program. Uh, but he told us, he gave us a call the other day. See, he can't go through our film. We have a film program with a program called Kids in the Spotlight. And we paid them and he quit the program. But the way he did it was so professional. He called us and said, look, I can't continue this program. And it, it, please don't take this personal. It has nothing to do with Right Way Foundation or Kids in the Spotlight. It's just that right now I'm not in the space. But if you would have interviewed him uh, a month ago, he was cursing, yelling, very disrespectful. And my staff was hurt when he quit. Uh, and I had to tell him, look where he came, open up his file. This is a win. And then he called back the other day, checking in and just said, hey, I'm ready to come back. I'm like, that's win-win. That's win-win. But this kid was, woo, he was a tough one. He was a tough one. Wow, that's great. Sounds like he's going in the right direction. All right. Well, let me ask you one more question here about your program. Um, you've talked about having um, some partnerships with employers. You know, what types of employers are you working with? How do you build those relationships with them so that they are open to taking these potentially challenging young people? Twofold. I, I look at this since I'm the CEO, and I tell, I stress this to my staff. We have two clients here. You have the youth as a client, and then you have these companies as a client. Because one one bad apple can ruin it for everyone. And I'm not worried about Rightway's reputation. I'm worried about if we send the wrong false youth to a company, and then they do something horrible, and then the company generalizes and say it's all false youth that are bad. So I, I go at it with uh, two approaches. I have two clients here. We have to take care of the company also. I have uh, partnerships with mostly entertainment business. Once again, I said earlier, LA Live Staples Center, which is AEG. Uh, they're a worldwide organization. They control uh, many arenas throughout the world from here to China. Target Arena, Minnesota, you know, blah, blah, blah. Entertainment. Uh, and then we control half the restaurants in our LAX, the airport, because one of my board members owns half those restaurants. So, And then we have great partnerships with TJ Maxx. So mostly all my businesses are in customer service or entertainment. What is the great thing is that we have now offered a training for their management program where, where they'll fund us too. So a company will pay us a nice sum of money to go in there and train their regular managers on how to work with our population. And they took, they took our model because not everyone that has that deals with trauma come from the foster care system. Right. <laughs> so they have re they have regular employ employers, employees, I'm sorry, employees that deal with domestic violence and, and things like that. So now they've taken our model and they're using it on all their employees. And that's been win-win. Like Bloomingdale's, the clothing store, which is mainly on the East Coast in New York, May uh, Macy's, they're using our models. So we're taking South Central kids, youth, and we're putting them in Beverly Hills at these uh, high-end clothing stores. And long as they go through our five-hour training, now I'm talking about the companies have to go through our five-hour training. We make these companies go through our training because we don't want to partner. We don't want to partner with companies that aren't trauma-informed and know how to work with our population. Right. Because I can make a kid. It can make the situation worse. I get. I send a kid to a job. He's ten minutes late because he's homeless and he hasn't bathed in two days, and you fire him for bad hygiene. No, let's figure out how to help him. Call us before you fire him or send him HR. And, and, and it's been a win-win model. Wow, it sounds like it. That's fantastic. I, actually, another question popped into my head. Let me ask that real quick. I mean, we know when young people leave foster care that housing is, is a challenge. Where do these young people live while they're in your program? Because they're out of the foster care system. They're in your program. So where are they staying? 20% of our population right now is homeless. The foster care system in L.A. County, 50% will be homeless within a year once they emancipate. So homelessness is on the rise for us. A lot of our youth are couch surfing, living with friends. Uh, some of them are in transitional housing programs that we partner with. But yeah, it's, it's a sad thing because our cost of living is way too high in L.A. For any foster youth to leave the system and, and be successful independently realistically in LA County, you have to make about 60,000 a year to have an apartment, 60,000. Wow. What you have, you have barely social workers making that money. So housing, it's only going to get worse and I don't sugarcoat this. And so we've been partnering with developers uh, uh, and development to build some new housing units 
but we don't take on that challenge. We stay in our lane. We are mental health and employment services uh, because housing is just, woo, that's another nightmare. If I became a housing program, I would have to be strictly a housing program. But it seems like there's an opportunity for maybe partnering with a transitional living program. We are. Yeah, that's what we do. We do that too. Sad thing is that, you know, they have a model on their end. You know, we've had some housing providers kick out our kids. And I'm like, well, I'll give you a good example. One of our awesome youth kicked in his door because his roommate was bullying him, uh, you know, picking on him and locked the door. And my client kicked in that door, kicked him out for that. I'm like, wait a minute. You guys knew this other kid was bullying him. And those are flashbacks. My kid is an overweight, awesome, gentle giant. Mm-hmm. And they kept pushing him, you know, and they kicked this this other housing provider, kicked him out. So that's a problem. I, I can't I'm, I try to meet with these other CEOs and tell them, look, this will all work together. Kicking them out is almost a death sentence. You know, we're, we're, he's homeless now. What do you guys want to do with that? You know, so. But during these hard times right now, during this virus, we are requesting meetings with everyone to come together, because if we work together, we can make their job a lot easier and they can make my job a lot easier as an agency. And we don't have to, you know, uh, uh, break bread or give each other money. I'm okay with that. You know, you go raise your funds and we'll raise our funds. But let's come together, you know, and maybe I can I can help you raise funds. Like you say, some of my call from this interview will say, we want to help you with housing dollars. I can give that to my provider. I'm saying, look, here go my partner. Give it to them. You know? Yep, absolutely. All right, great. Well, you know what? You've actually brought something up that um, I wanted to ask. Is there a way that people can donate anything if they wanted to to your program, um, whether they're physical items or a monetary donation? Awesome. Uh, they can visit our website for donations at www.therightwayfoundation.org is the first place they can go. Uh, we're located inside the Ball and Hills Crenshaw Mall in the heart of South Central Los Angeles, and that's 3650 West Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. Suite 195, LA, California, 90008. And so you can go to our website or send us any care packages you want here. Okay, thank you very much. I'm sure there may be some folks out there who would be interested in doing that. The next thing, if you don't mind, if we shift gears, um, what I'd like to do is ask you about our current crisis, the COVID-19 crisis. So many um, employers have been shut down, at least customer-facing you know, stores and things like that have been shut down. I was just wondering if I could ask you about how that is impacting the youth that you work with and how are you, I know it's early, but how are you managing through this and helping them deal with that while you're trying to help them keep a job? Sadly, and you're right, it is early, uh, but it has hit the fan because all of my jobs, as I mentioned earlier, are customer service. Airport, all laid off. Uh, Special entertainment, all laid off. All of it has hit us 100%. So all of all of our jobs are gone right now. And so what we're doing is providing the therapy once again because the flashbacks of uh, scared uh, where they're going to be at now. Uh, so we're providing emergency uh, grocery gift cards and we're providing groceries themselves also. So once a week, our youth are reporting to us right now. And this has been the first week. So a lot of them have already come in to collect their care package, i.e. their groceries or their gro- groceries uh, gift card. And we're providing all of our service uh, or therapy uh, via phone or online. So the youth will show up to our facility. I will wear my mask and meet them outside, me personally, and give them all their groceries and their gift cards, sadly. Our, our youth are the strongest. I hope your audience knows this. Our foster youth are the strongest kids in the world because they have been through some challenging times, you know, and so, it's scary, but we're going to get through this. Now, our kids are still job searching because now Costco uh, and our lo- local grocery store, Ralph's, are hiring. And so they've been applying for those jobs, too. So, you know, our, our youth aren't sitting back doing nothing. Uh, uh, so now we'll see what this lockdown, because the whole state of California is on lockdown. And so we'll see what happens next week, because so, I know they're going to come up with something else. 
Oh, I know. It seems like every couple of days, I, we're in Pennsylvania, and it just seems like every every other day there's some new restriction. But I know that the grocery stores are still open here, and our local grocery stores are hiring. Correct. So that's what made me think of it is, you know, they're, they're, you would think if you still have grocery stores and the big box stores open, like you mentioned, that at least there might be some opportunities there. Oh, yeah. And we're, we're, we're taking advantage of this, uh, meaning we're showing our youth, you know, they're throwing us lemon. It's time to make lemonade. You know, it's time to make the best of a situation. We're going to ride this wave out. The, the rainbow is going to come. And if our kids can get into Costco, Costco's a great career. Costco, I don't know if you guys have, you guys have Costco out there. Mm-hmm. That's an awesome company to work for. Uh, and so, you know, I know if our youth proved themselves, now the managers will say, well, let's keep them after this, you know. But it is sad. Uh, one of our youth was kicked out of their extended family's home right away, right away, a young lady. And we were so, she called crying. And, and so we had to send her to an emergency shelter. Mm. Uh, it's just sad how some of these extended families or foster families uh, just don't treat these kids like they're real biological kids. That hurts. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, actually that hadn't crossed my mind yet. I've certainly thought about the colleges that are all closing down and wondering what the former foster youth are doing. Um, And I know there are some colleges that are allowing kids to stay on campus. Hopefully most of them are, but they aren't all. So I know that there are some former foster kids who are, you know, struggling in that regard. But I hadn't thought about foster parents or extended family, like you're saying, saying, nope, you know, you can't stay with us during this emergency. Correct. Yeah. And that's happening. And we knew we knew that was coming because the kids who are couch surfing stay out on the streets all day and then they come home to sleep at night. So you have a a grown adult uh, noticing that kid's been on the streets all day and probably say, well, don't bring that virus back to us. Yeah. No. Well, let them stay there all day and relax. Don't kick them out. Don't boot them, make them force them to the streets during the daytime. Right. Yeah. But it's, it's been tough. It's been a tough one. But, uh, on the, on the business side, uh, we promote self-care within our agency because you got to protect your staff too. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why I'm taking a lot of the calls. Our case managers, they're already under a lot of pressure. They already see the files and they know the personal details of these youth. And now they got to hear some more things. And so, yeah, it's, it's self-care is what we're promoting with our staff, uh, you know, and things like that. And your office is still open, right? Yeah, it's still open. Uh, our center is still open, but our kids have to call and they only can show up for food and grocery gift cards. That's all. Right, right. That actually makes me also think about this idea of a support system within the peers themselves. So do your foster youth get to know each other and are they helping each other out at all? Or is it, you know, kind of an individual experience? Oh, no, it's a it's a support system. Uh, We told two youth about our food program and got about 20 calls. So, and, and, uh, and, And we did that strategically, you know, you know, you have some popular ones who are the king of the class in our program. And once they get the information, they will disperse it to all the alumni. And it's been win-win. It's been win-win, especially if we have fresh produce right now. And so I need to get rid of that. I need to get rid of the celeries, the squash and stuff like that because they will, you know, spoil. And so, you know, that's people have been coming in for that. So I'm happy. And we don't, there's no individualists in our program. Nope. Yeah. Well, how do they get to know each other, though? Do you have events set up for them? Is it through the classroom experience that they get to know each other? I'm just trying to picture how that works. Okay. Yeah. One, through the classroom experience. Two is that uh, on Christmas Day every year, I personally take our youth to the movies uh, because I know Christmas is depressing times for our population. On Thanksgiving, we have an event. And then on New Year's Day, we have an event. Those are strategic holidays uh, or strategic events on the crucial holidays for our kids to come together. So uh, they become friends, uh, their family in itself. You know, sadly, we've I think we lost one kid to a violent death and, and everyone knew about it and it really affected everyone. So, yeah, they're, yeah. Uh, these are their brothers and sisters, you know, with each other. Right. Oh, good. Well, then it's good to know they have each other as well as you. Oh, yeah, they have each other. And we, we promote that. They have to lean on each other. And sometimes I use that for uh, the benefit of our foundation, meaning that 
sometimes I'll have a hard time with the youth and I'll ask another youth, hey, you need to help me get to this kid. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> and I'll put it on them like, hey, if we don't straighten this kid out, it falls on you. <laughs> <laughs> and our kids love it. They step up and they get advice sometimes. They give advice to each other and it works out. Good, good. Now, you, you've mentioned groceries and, and things like that and giving out loans and housing assistance. Where do you get all this? Is this all donations? Because um, I'm thinking some folks might be interested in knowing how you're funded. Oh, definitely. We're funded a lot by private foundations. Uh, we have an excellent partnership with the Jewish Free Loans uh, program out here. Um, and they are the ones specifically uh, with the car loan program. So they give out loans, no interest loans to folks, but they secured some funding from from the Pritzker's Foundation (laughs) and these no interest loans. It's through private foundations mainly. Grocery store gift cards, that was just through my friends on Facebook. I'm excited about how the common folks in the community have stepped up, but I'm nervous that this might run out. You know, so this is week one, it's the honeymoon. Everyone's excited, like, let me give, let me give, let me give. But are they going to be given to me next week and week after week? Because I need this every week. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. Actually, it just made me think that I, I want to find a place to give blood because I hear that there is a big shortage right now. So not only money, but giving blood as well. And hopefully people aren't just doing it this first week or two. Correct, correct. And I might as implement as a CEO, uh, give my staff a day off uh, once a week to go give blood. So I say, if you're going to go give blood, then take the rest of the day off. Because mm. we still need, we need to give back too. Right. If you can give blood, if you can give blood, you know, please oh, do yeah. that and get a day off. Um, yeah. So it, it's it's scary times. I'm looking at the future. On a sad note, we already received our first uh, decline letter from a foundation due to the coronavirus. Uh, I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah, I got a letter via email stating that due to the virus, we have to cut back on new foundations, and we were on their radar, but they're not gonna give to us. Uh, due to this epidemic. I think a lot of a lot of companies, organizations are very, very nervous about the economy moving forward. Yeah. Because even if it's a fairly quick turnaround that we can get through this fairly quickly, the ripple effect is going to be, I think, long term. Correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Yeah. So that said, people can send uh, grocery gift cards to you. <laughs> correct. Correct. Yeah. To help the kids out. <laughs> Heck yeah. Heck yeah. All right. Well, you know, along those lines, let's think about and brainstorm a little bit. Maybe what I I know that the states are and the federal government are coming up with different stimulus packages and there are different rules and laws being set down in the states as to what you can and can't do. Um, I know that there's some talk in D.C. about trying to put together some kind of package for foster youth to help them out particularly the ones that are aging out. I saw something come across this morning and posted it on our Facebook feed. But um, have you had any thoughts or had any discussions with anybody about what the state government or federal government could do for these young people, let's say for the next few months as they deal with this situation? Well, we were on a call uh, with National Foster Youth Institute yesterday, and they were just uh, jotting down what are the issues regarding our foster youth. Uh, But I haven't heard in particular anything directly about uh, foster youth and uh, stimulus package directly for our youth. Um, I looked at the writing today that states that they're only going to give to people who filed in 2018 or this year, 2019. What if our youth never filed? Right. So where's their check go? And then second, some of our uh, our youth are transients. Uh, so what address are they going to send that check to? Mm-hmm. So we're thinking about all that. Yeah, uh, we would like to voice our uh, concerns too to our local officials and uh, see what we can put on the table because this is an issue that's going to hit our population the hardest because we don't have extended families where we can go lean on someone. Right. So what are they particularly putting together specifically for our our transition age youth i have no idea like i said i saw something this morning i know that there are legislators in dc thinking about it Uh, i don't believe anything has been passed yet but that question is i think it's that the most vulnerable group are the ones that are just leaving foster care they haven't submitted any tax returns and and or they might not even have a place to to be living yet so, you know, are there organizations like yourself that can serve as that address? I mean, maybe that's one thing. 
Oh, we do. We get a lot of mail on youth at our center. Yeah, we get a lot of mail. We're okay with that. We're okay with that. So other organizations could do that too. They could step up if they don't already and say, look, you know, here are five youth we work with. They don't have a place to stay. They don't have a stable home. We'll be their address. Then the question is, how do you get that information to the government <laughs> so, so that they can get a check to them? Correct. He's correct. Or if they're not able to get a check because they haven't filed a tax return yet, you know, if there is some kind of relief package being put together for foster youth, you know, how do you get some of that? I, that's a lot of unanswered questions right now. Yeah. And I think uh, I heard our county supervisor is asking the SNAP program, uh, the EBT cards, the food stamp program, mm-hmm. uh, to automatically let our population enroll immediately. Ah, okay. So, um, that was a suggestion that she said. I'm like, well, you're the county supervisor. You can make that happen or, you know, don't suggest it. Get it done, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't suggest it's a right-way foundation. It's just, you know, go tell the whoever's in charge, the feds. Right. Well, what about unemployment? Um, I don't know all the unemployment rules. So can young people who are, I don't know, working a part-time job or just started working, what, what are the implications there for young people? Can they apply for unemployment at, when they're with you? Yes. Um, uh, they can apply for unemployment while they if they were working. Uh, mm-hmm. and, but sadly, it's a 50% cut. You're going to get 50% of your paycheck. Yeah. So we looked at that number. And then with the stimulus package, uh, hopefully that, that, that we really need that stimulus package. That will work out. And then we really need them to freeze the rents, uh, you know, asking our, our local officials to uh, for folks to not take rent right now if our youth are paying rent because yeah we can't continue to pay the same bills we were paying a month ago there's no way yeah the rent is a tough one i mean the larger companies can handle it the smaller landlords cannot so it that's a tough call that's i i understand where you're coming from and i think that would absolutely help the young people but i know that the i just have so many friends who are small business owners and they're being just hammered right now from all sorts of different directions. So it's just such a difficult situation. Correct. So bottom line is everyone needs a break. <laughs> Even the land, the, la- the landlord needs a break from paying that mortgage. Mm-hmm. If people have thought of that domino effect and worked their way back, you know, then, then it may be doable because then you can help everybody through the whole line. Correct. I 100% agree. Yeah, I don't. I'm. I'm not pretending. We, you and I, will have answers here. <laughs> I know we're just we're just doing a little brainstorming, but um, we're trying. And I heard some. I think I heard on NPR yesterday something about. And I'm paraphrasing. Uh, the best ideas uh, come from tragedies or where people are planning through a storm. <laughs> yeah, you know what? And I believe it. And I believe it. I'm just wondering if there are any opportunities online for young people to get work. I, I'm not sure how that would work. I mean, are there online jobs right now where you can get hired to do something through the internet? Amazon, I think, is hiring folks to work at home, but I have to double check on that one. Um, and that's the only one I heard about. But the, the main ones I'm going with are the grocery stores because we know they're gonna, those are going to stay open. Yeah, right, right. I think that's really the key is just to, what are the businesses that are open? And what opportunities are they providing right now? So I know in Pennsylvania, they just, um, the governor just closed all businesses unless they're quote unquote life sustaining. So there are questions about what that means, of course, but I think that they're probably, my perception is that they're probably opportunities that are there because when this first wave was going through, I imagine there may have been a lot of people who would have, especially young people, I see, I could see their parents going, oh, you're not going to work. You're a higher risk of getting it if you go into work. So I'm not going to let you, you know, you've got to quit that job. That opens up a job. Correct. And I know that employers, you know, restaurants that are allowing takeout and grocery stores, that they are taking extreme measures to make sure that their staff are safe through, you know, ultra cleanliness programming and things like that. So I think that it's worth exploring Correct. Um, those businesses that are still open to see if there are positions because you might think, ah, there's not going to be a job there, but you know what? I think there probably will be. Correct. Yeah. And that's what we preach to our kids about. You might think it's temporary with a company. If you do well, how many other folks are not coming back to that job? And this might can easily turn into a permanent job for you. 
and grocery stores um, have opportunities for advancement and oh yeah like yeah. you said costco there's opportunities for advancement so there i think there are opportunities out there for young people if they're hopefully if they have the ability and the like the transportation to be able to get around correct well, what I will do is ask you, Franco, is if people who have been listening to this program today, if they wanted to contact you to talk with you about your program, maybe they want to start a similar program or maybe they just want to, you know, hash through some ideas. Is there a way for them to contact you? Are you OK with that? Oh, definitely. Um, info at the right way uh, You can email us directly there. You can call us at the office area code three, two, three. Nine zero three five zero two one. So it's three two three nine zero three five zero two one, or info at the rightwayfoundation.org. We do um, myself and CEO travel throughout the country, uh, training other folks uh, on our model because we've caught the eye uh, from from a lot of people, especially from reentry folks. Uh, so when you have foster youth going into prison and coming out. Uh, our model works for them. It's, it's a nice fit for them, that population. We don't mind sharing this with anyone, anyone and anyone who, everyone and anyone who wants to hear it. And I always tell them when we do our training, you know, information without application is a waste of time. So if we come down and train you, you got to apply it. You know, you have to apply it. And that, that's on you guys. And, but we make sure we make it very entertaining. Who wants to be in a boring five-hour training? You know, we make it very entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's good to know. Um, yeah, I, I think one of the things that we're trying to accomplish here with Aging Out Institute is to um, break down some of the silos that exist. We have a lot of great programs out there, but others who are doing similar things or who want to do similar things don't know how to find them or aren't aware of them. So we're trying to get the word out about great programs like yours. You've got a fantastic model that I think I agree could be applied all over the place um, to help young people be able to, like you're saying, not just get a job, but maintain the job. That's really the tough part is, is retaining it and, um, and helping employers understand how to work with these young people and like you're saying other employees who have gone through trauma and and so it helps them in other avenues as well so i think it's a fantastic model and i've been just so excited to talk with you about it today i really appreciate it well thank you lynn and i totally forgot to mention we've been featured on kcet uh slash pbs on a national level and they did a six minute segment on us about this model where we where it was training companies at the airport so you can go to our website and see that video. Uh, so yeah, 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 no, it's on the nationals. They highlighted us throughout the nation. So we was excited about that good press that they gave us. Well, it's well-deserved. I'm impressed uh, with your program. I really appreciate the thoughtfulness that you've put into it to get to the root of the challenges that the young people face in regard to dealing with their their past and managing the emotions and everything that crop up all the time when they're trying to deal with independence and life on their own and just helping them through that and learning how to really how to live life with those emotions like we said at the beginning you never get over them but you learn how to manage them and you're helping them be able to do that yeah correct yeah no but thank you guys thank your team over there lynn this is awesome this is a platform that you guys have created that we need and we need to break down those silos. We're not, we're not experts. We can always learn every day, you know? And, and so I know there's some great programs probably in Denver that I can borrow from and probably in Philadelphia, Pittsburgh or somewhere. So yeah, this is a great opportunity. What you guys are doing here is much needed. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And we're going to keep going. We're trying to put out a, uh, a podcast every couple of weeks. So thank you so much again, Franco. I will let you go so you can get back to what you do so well. And uh, and thank you to everyone who is listening and uh, look forward to another podcast in a couple of weeks. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting. Any resources or research mentioned in today's podcast will be added to this episode's show notes at agingoutinstitute.org forward slash AOI podcast. If you have any suggestions for people or programs that you think we should highlight in a future podcast, please send an email with your ideas to podcast at agingoutinstitute.org. Finally, if you found this podcast to be informative or useful, we would greatly appreciate it if you would consider becoming a podcast level patron on Patreon. For only $3 a month, you can help enable AOI to continue interviewing nonprofit leaders, social workers, and former foster youth well into the future. 
You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash aging out institute. Thank you so much for considering it and thank you for listening. Until next time.